Good morning, good morning. If we start making our way to our seats. We'll get started this morning. Great to see everybody on this official first Sunday of summer. Well, technically the 21st. Um, but we know the school's out. Kids, you guys excited? VBS in a couple next week? Woo! Very excited. For those that haven't registered yet, we ask you to please get online on the website to register so we can prepare accordingly with snacks and all different things of the details for registration on the website. Um, we still have a few opportunities. We need some help to serve. Uh, Molly Moore's here. You, there she is. Uh, we need a recreation leader, second grade assistant, fifth grade assistant, no prep needed. Um, and so if you have any interest in any of those three, please talk to Molly so we can get some of those uh, finalized so we can prepare accordingly for next week. So we're very excited about VBS. Ladies, summer um, women's Bible study that's happening on Tuesday nights. Last week was a very successful gathering. So excited about all of you that came. Still an opportunity for you to sign up for the ladies that may not have come yet. It's again this Tuesday night at six o'clock in the gym building in the youth room. It's not too late to join, um, so we'd still ask you to register online so they can still help with the needed child care, things of that nature. So uh, Melinda Crouch is leading it, study of Colossians, and uh, we have the Bible study books in the office for those that need to get one if you don't have it yet. Men, this Wednesday, June 7th at 6, is going to be a cookout, an outdoor game time here at the campus. Uh, we're excited about that. We would ask you to please also go register at the, on the website at gatewaybaptist.com under news and events so they can plan accordingly for food um, to hang out and prepare for that. So men's cookout, outdoor games, this Wednesday, 6 o'clock here at the campus. Um, ladies, again, this weekend is the, uh, we have it every second Saturday of the month, is the next Homemakers Workshop led by Alana Taylor and my wife Nikki. And um, it's going to be this Saturday at 9 a.m. in the gym building. And just wanted to read a little text. My wife is a little into the weather today. So she was going to come up, but I'm going to read this uh, that she sent for me. She said, Alana and I are having a blast with these homemakers workshops on the second Saturday of each month. This homemakers workshop is for all who want to find inspiration and get educated on how, when, where, why, and what of thrifting. How many of y'all love thrifting? I've kind of become a junkie myself. Uh, I like thrifting with my wife now. It's been fun. So we want uh, women to know how much thrifting has been a blessing to our families for many years. Thrifting is not just going to thrift stores. There is so much more to learn on living a thrifted life from decorating your home, clothing, tools, furniture, supplies for basically anything and everything. It's also trained even our kids on how to, to shop smart and promote creativity in your home. It's going to be such a fun time. Hope you will come this next Saturday from 9 to 12. Alana Taylor is here, so if you have any questions, you can talk to her, but hope you all can join in with that. All right. One ex last thing for some exciting news. Um, we got some news that our member here at Gateway, Miss Emily Griffin. Where are you, Emily? Why do you have such a big smile on your face? We would love to announce that her and Mitchell are engaged to be married. Yes. She's beaming. Way to go, Mitchell. boy. And just know, you're marrying way up. You know that, right? Yeah. As we all have. So, Nikki, you heard that, right? I'm married up. Okay. So, 
Very happy for you both. Very excited about your future. So glad you're able to be part of us. And uh, we're going to be praying for you both during this journey. So God bless you both. Let's stand. Prepare our hearts to worship our Lord who is worthy of our praise. Amen. He is faithful and good and just and loving and kind. Let me read this Psalms over us this morning. This is Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who practice it have a good understanding, and his praise endures forever. Let's worship him this morning.
Every 
Lord, we just praise you this morning. Like you. As we read this morning, Lord, you were glorious and majestic. You're a God with awesome power. We've seen your mighty acts in our lives. And we're just here to bask in your presence and your awe and wonder, the splendor of your majesty. And Lord, that's why we can come each week with these petitions to bring before you, knowing you are good and faithful, that you hear our prayers and that we can entrust these things to you, to do according to your will, that we entrust them to you, knowing you're good and just and holy, and you do all things for your glory and our good. And so, Lord, this morning we do continue to give thanks for what you're doing on this campus here at Gateway and amongst this local congregation. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that we have this summer to connect in a deeper way, to stay in community. Lord, I pray that we continue to value that and prioritize that as a faith family here with opportunities for VBS and our youth camp and the men's gatherings and the women's Bible studies and all that we have the opportunities to stay just connected in fellowship, Lord. Just continue to guide and direct our steps, Lord, build relationships accordingly among us, that we can encourage one another, be there for one another even in the tough times and the good times. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We give you praise and glory for that. Continue to order our steps, provide all that we need this summer to reach people with the gospel, to be salt and light, to be your ambassadors in all the different spheres of influence you have us in, especially with the unique dynamic of summer, with our jobs and social settings and camps and different fun trips and vacations, Lord. Just give us eyes to see and ears to hear and for us to be open and willing, God, to be used by you as your vessels as you see fit. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that many of our men here at Gateway, uh, led by Dave First, who taken a trip up with Carpenters for Christ. Uh, this Friday as they're heading up to Junction, Illinois, to serve in a wonderful capacity with around 120-something other individuals, building a sanctuary and working on a church campus to be able to bless this community and this church by putting their hands and feet to labor and to sacrifice their time and effort to work and to serve them in this way. God, we just pray for protection as they drive up and back. We pray for protection as they're building, uh, that you keep people free from harm, Lord. And we pray that relationships are cultivated and kindled and renewed and, and even build some new ones, Lord, in that community and with those that they're going to connect with from all over the country, different folks that may be there. We just pray that you would bless their time, bless this local community, whatever church they're working at, Lord, that people will see this physical building going up, Lord, but know that that there's something happening there in the spiritual realm as well, and that you can give these guys opportunity to encourage those in that local fellowship as they're working with their hands. And uh, we just thank you for their time and sacrifice to do that. And Lord, we thank you. We can lift up different brothers and sisters in this community. We thank you for Pastor John Halbrooks and his faithfulness to serve and pastor the Miss Tech Church across town. And Lord, that he's serving to reach this people group um, and to be able to bring the gospel to them in a in a, a group that with the synchristic uh, religion that they practice, and sometimes there's witchcraft and darkness trying to take the gospel to this specific unreached people group. We pray, Lord, that you would just give him wisdom and his team wisdom as they uh, are doing tutoring and bringing the gospel and discipleship to those in that community, Lord. And those native mystic, Lord, once they come to faith, that you'd give them boldness to go back to their families, to share the gospel, to be able to share it in their heart language of Metlatonic in that community, and to be able to take the, the true gospel that they would know Christ rightly and understand who you are. 
And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to pray for Ryan Thomas and his family in Cambodia as he's continuing to minister in Asia uh, to pastors and other missionaries and those with his family. Lord, continue to give him wisdom and protection and guidance. Provide for him and his wife and family and the resources they need to do the ministry that you've called them to. Continue to protect their family, give them good health and strength. And just continue to open the doors they need for he and his wife to serve and minister to those families and those individuals in that community if you place them in, Lord. We're so grateful we can partner with him and lift him up in prayer. And God, you're so good. We thank you for your provision. Thank you for how you have blessed us so much. And we just give a small portion back in return to facilitate your kingdom work. We thank you, God, for the blessings you've given us here. And continue to give the leadership wisdom to steward what we have for the sake of your gospel going forward. And Lord, thank you so much for our pastor. We thank you for Grady, our lead shepherd. As we heard so much last week, just a beautiful call that you have called him to in our local body to love us, to serve us, to protect us, to feed us, to teach us. We pray you fill him afresh with your spirit right now. Give him energy, Lord, and just speak through him this morning. We thank you so much for his heart, his love for you, and his compassion for us. And God, we worship you. We praise you. You are worthy of all of our praise. You are so good and so faithful. And we lift all these things up by your power and authority. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And first to fourth graders, you are dismissed to kids' worship. So first to fourth grade, you are dismissed to kids' worship. And Mr. Tom and Ms. Jennifer this morning, you guys have fun back there. Well, it's good to be back with you this morning. Appreciate CJ preaching last week while I was away, and I'm grateful to be back this morning. I want you to find 1 Peter chapter 5 in your copy of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 5, friends, we are in the home stretch of this letter. This is week number 47 in our journey through 1 Peter, and we only have four weeks left to go. So we are in the home stretch of what we are studying. And as Peter is bringing his letter to a close, he has some very important final words for us to Christians who find themselves in a hostile world. And so Peter began these final instructions, this final help with a challenge to the church leaders that you saw last week, a challenge to the elders of the church. And with that challenge to the leadership made, he now turns his focus to the entire church. So friends, if you were Peter and you were writing to believers who were struggling, who were suffering, who were facing persecution, what would be the last thing that you would tell them? If you had this final few sentences to share a word of hope with believers scattered across the region who were struggling with persecution, what would you tell them? Now, where Peter goes next is not what I would have written, and my guess is probably not what you would have written either, because his closing words are all about humility. It's all about humility. In fact, everything else that we'll see in the next four weeks all comes from this. The the instruction here about anxiety, about spiritual warfare, about community, it all flows from this command here about humility. So the most important thing Peter wants to leave with us and with his original readers is a call to humility. So in light of that, I want to ask us a question this morning to consider as we start. The question is this, friends. Do you value humility in your own life? Do I value humility in my own life? Now, before we go, guys in the booth, can we pull those lights down so I can see the congregation again? They're kind of blinding this morning. So if y'all could pull those down a little bit, thanks. Um, But do you value humility in your life, and do I value humility in my life? Now, that question is different than do you value humility in others? Because, well, we all value humility in others, right? We like when people act with humility to us. But the question for examination for us is, do I value humility in my own heart, and do you value it in your life? Now, friends, if we value something, we think about it, right? We prioritize it. We pursue it. And so I guess perhaps we could ask a question this way, friends. When was the last time we paused and evaluated our own humility 
and areas of pride in our life? When was the last time we paused to look at where we were lacking humility in our life? When was the last time that we asked God for grace to kill the pride in our life and to grow in humility? When was the last time we intentionally laid aside our preferences and our ways of doing things to defer to one another and to serve others? In other words, do we value, actually value humility in our own life? Not just do we talk about it, but do our life show it is a priority for us? Friends, I want us to keep that question in view as we dig through this text this morning. We're coming to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. And I want us to keep before ourselves, is this true of me? Do I value humility in the way that Peter is showing us here. As we look at these two verses this morning, we're going to see a call for humility, but not just one time. We're going to see it three different times in here, a call for humility. But Peter's not going to just tell us, go be humble. He's going to tell, give us reasons why this is so important. But he's also going to show us how we can pursue that. So he's going to give us the commands three times. He's going to give us the reason why it's important. He's going to give us how this is actually possible. So be looking for all that as we read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'm reading out the English Standard Version this morning, and as usual, have the words on the screen for you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your unchanging word. We thank you for your word and the way you convict us through it to conform us and shape us to be who you desire us to be. And so as we come to this topic of pride and humility, I pray you would give all of us, you give me as well, teachable hearts to hear from you today, to hear from your word, for your Holy Spirit to apply it to our lives, to be shaping us into the people you want us to be, a humble people before you. So have your way in our lives, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So if Peter's exhortations in this verse are all about humility, and he's going to call us to humility three times. For the sake of clarity, we need to start with the definition, what is humility? Now this is one of those definitions that for me is most helpful to explain by explaining it also in terms of the contrast of what it is not, the opposite attitude of what we're not to have because they're two sides of the same coin. In fact, you'll see that here in verse 5. Notice how Peter contrasts these two approaches, these two views of life. In verse 5, he talks about here, For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If we're proud, we're not humble. If we're humble, we're not proud. These are two sides of the same coin. So let's start with what is pride. Now, we talked about this when we studied Ephesians, but that was five years ago. We talked about this when we studied James, but that was three years ago. So let me remind us of what pride is, as we've seen in the past. In the Greek language in which the New Testament is written, there's two different words that get translated for pride. One of the words is a word that means to stretch your neck. Literally, it's to stretch your neck. And if you can picture a person stretching their neck because they're smug, they feel like they're above others. They're high and lofty. The second Greek word for pride is a word that means to be blind because you're engulfed in smoke. You think of a firefighter running into a house on fire and he or she can't see. They're blinded by the smoke. So one of the Greek words for pride is to be blinded by smoke. Now, if you put those two words together, stretching your neck and being blinded by smoke, what is pride? My definition of pride is pride is having such a high view of yourself that you're blind to God and blind to others. That pride is having such a high view of yourself, you're stretching your neck, you think much of yourself, that you're blinded by that smoke, you're blinded to who God is, and you're blinded to people around you. In other words, someone who's proud sees themselves as a master. And a person who's proud acts like everyone else is around them to serve them, and they act like God is there to serve them as well. 
to get them from birth to death in that safest, happiest, easiest, wealthiest, most comfortable way possible. They kind of see that view of pride in the way Paul pictures it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Notice pride's in this list of these things that we're not to be like in the last days. But notice how it all kind of groups together in one picture of a proud person. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and unholy. Do you see how that kind of pictures one big thing of someone whose neck is up high and they're blinded by the smoke around them to where they love themselves when they love others and love God. Now the reality for us is that's not just for people out there. Every single one of us have pride in our life. There's a great booklet you've heard me mention before. It's in the Resource Center by Stuart Scott. It's a book called From Pride to Humility. And Stuart Scott in there says, the question is not, do I have pride? The question is, where is it and how much? There's none of us here today, not one of the elders or deacons or church staff, not one of you in this room who can be like, oh good, this is for other people. This is not for me. The question is not, do I have pride? The question is, where is it in my life and how much is there? And the reality is pride is so deceptive and it creeps in in so many ways. If you want a very humbling read, pick up that book before you leave today. In it, Stuart Scott lists 30 ways we can see pride in our life. I'm not going to mention all 30, but here's a few that he lists as we think through it. He says some evidences that we have pride in our life include a lack of thankfulness. It includes anger outburst. It includes talking too much. Talking too much about ourselves. Having to always be in control being degrading in how we speak of others, not joyfully serving others, not being compassionate, not admitting if we're wrong, not asking for forgiveness, voicing opinions when we're not asked, ouch, um, and maximizing others' shortcomings while minimizing our own. And that's just a small part of that list, friends. The reality is my heart and your heart has pride in it. We all struggle with pride. The question is where in our lives and how much of it is there. So then for us, pride then is having a high view of ourselves that blind us to God and blind us to others. Now then, if that's one side of it, the coin, the other side, what is humility? We'll go back to verse 5. It's the exact opposite here. The contrast, God opposes the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. What does it mean to be humble? Well, there's again two different words in Greek that get translated for humility. One is a word that simply means to serve. And there's another word that gets translated that means to be gentle or to be yielding. So someone who serves and someone who is gentle or yielding. In other words, some person who's humble sees themselves as a servant of God and a servant of other people. The humble person sees themselves as a servant of God and a servant of others. And again, you see Paul picturing it that way in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Notice how this goes together. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Paul sees himself in humility that he's here to do what God has called him to do. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called, that they're serving God, that a humble person serves God. Verse 2, with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. So a humble person sees themselves as serving God and serving others. And that's the exact perspective that Peter's calling us to have in these final words of 1 Peter chapter 5. He's telling us that it's important for us to have humility. And in fact, three times in our two verses today, he calls us to pursue humility. Now, each of these three commands have a different person in view that we're to be humble before, but they're all part of the one command for humility. So let's look at these three commands for humility in our text today. The first one is humility towards the church leaders. It's humility towards the church leaders. Notice how verse 5 begins. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, why does he start here in humility? 
It's because of what we just saw last week in verses 1 to 4 that C.J. preached. He's just talked about the responsibility of the elders in the church. Now he addresses a group in the church of how they respond to the elders. And he specifically addresses you who are younger. Now, who are the younger? Well, Peter's vague here, and this is a frustration for Bible scholars because they're like, well, what is he talking about here? There's different ideas that float around by what he means by younger, but most people see this literally as the younger generation, that he specifically starts a section on humility by addressing the youth, the young adults of the church. Now, why would he start with humility with this group? Well, if you think about global history, the young people are not exactly the group known for being the most humble group, typically, right? The young people are the people who are more likely to be known for their desire to lead, to take charge, and to change things in the church. Friends, I saw this in seminary, and I saw this in my own heart. How many guys in their 20s, when I was in seminary, would sit around the seminary dorms, and you listen to those conversations, these guys were full of pride, thinking they better knew how to lead those churches they were just brand new in than the people who have been there a long time. But it's not just the guys in seminary who struggle with this. How many of us in our 20s can look back to those times and be like, Man, my heart was so full of pride. I thought I knew better than fill in the blank. My boss, my parents, whatever else. When we're young, there's such a tendency for pride to creep in. And so Peter begins by addressing the young people in the church, the, most, the group most likely to question, to want to challenge, and think, I can do better than fill in the blank, the elders, the deacons, the staff, whatever else. But the reality, friends, has not a temptation just for the young. There's so many who never move beyond that, do not learn from these trials and life experiences, and do not be humbled in life and still are adults, though older and yours still think like the younger here and how they view leadership. And so Peter calls the church to respond to the elders with humility. Now, where is the humility call in this? Go back to verse 5 here. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. This word to be subject is the word submit. We've seen it all throughout this letter so far of calling us to submit to the God-ordained authorities in our life, whether it's the government, whether it's our employers, whether it's in the home, or whether it's in the church. To be subject to someone is to willingly submit to them. And when we willingly submit to the leaders God has put in place, we are humbling ourselves because we're deferring to their direction. We're deferring to the direction of someone else. We're desiring to serve the church by seeking peace instead of seeking our own way. We're desiring to serve the church by following others, not pushing our own preferences. And so a person who's willing to submit themselves to the church leadership is showing that they have humility, that they're wanting to serve God and serve others within the church. So that's his first call to humility here is humility and how we respond to the church leadership. Now, before we move on to the second, let's take this back to that opening question. Do we value humility in our lives, friends? How about you? How about me? Do we value humility in how we respond to the leadership in the church? Do we desire to love God and serve God and serve the body by following the direction of the leaders God has put in the church? The reality is, friends, for me and for you, it's so much easier to criticize, to gossip, to complain, to question, to grumble than it is to submit with humility to the direction God has put before us. So the first call to humility here is how we view the church leadership. But there's a second call to humility in our verses, and it broadens it out even more, and that's humility towards one another. Humility towards one another. So look around the room. You stretch your neck for a second. Look around the room. This is a call to be humble to everyone you see in this room today and all other believers that you interact with. Go back to verse 5 here. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, notice this, all of you with humility towards one another. All of you 
one another. It does not matter if you're in leadership or not, if you're young or old, if you're a mature believer or a brand new Christian, if you are in Christ, this is clear expressed will for you and for me. Now the command here is interesting. The command is to clothe yourself. Now he's not talking about literal clothing, though that is a good thing. Clothing yourself in the Bible in the New Testament is an image for having a certain characteristic of life. It's an image, it's a metaphor for intentionally living a certain way. And friends, this is an image that shows us intentionality. No one is wearing your clothes today because you accidentally got dressed without thinking about it this morning. You're wearing the clothes today because you woke up and thought, I need to wear clothes to church. And we are thankful for that. So you walked up and you went into your closet and you intentionally went, I want to wear that. No, I don't want to wear that. And so you picked out what you're going to wear and you took time and effort to put on your clothes. You don't accidentally get dressed Getting dressed takes intentionality, it takes decision, it takes effort, and that's exactly what this image is here for for us. Just as we put on clothes day by day, day by day we're to clothe ourselves with a certain virtue. We're to choose to put on a certain virtue in our life. We're to choose to live a certain way. And what is that day by day choice we're to make? It's to live with humility towards other believers. We're not going to accidentally default to humility, just as we're not going to accidentally default to getting dressed. It takes intentionality. You see this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. We're told to do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count. Now, just stop right there. This word count, you've heard me say before, means to consider, to think about, to reckon. It's an intentional way of thinking that we're choosing to do, that we're to count, we're to think a certain way of seeing others as more significant than yourselves. And in verse 4, he carries on. Do we have verse 4? There, there. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. We're to look with intentionality. We're to pursue putting on humility. So the call we have here in our text today is to intentionally see ourselves as servants of God and servants of other people. And friends, that perspective is necessary for the church to be what God wants the church to be. So I was studying this week. There was a great quote I came across, and the author said this, Humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. The humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. Just if your car doesn't have oil in it, the engine's not going to last long and it's not going to run smooth. The oil is necessary to keep the friction from causing damage to the parts of the car. In the same way, humility is that oil that preserves the relationships and the unity of the church. Friends, if we do not clothe ourselves with humility, we wreck the unity that God gives. If we don't intentionally put on humility, we will wreck the building up work that God does in his church. But as we humble ourselves in how we relate to one another, humility becomes like that oil that enables us to love, to serve one another, and walk alongside each other. And so, friends, in a world that's so hostile to the faith and hostile to the church, is it any wonder that Peter's final instructions to the church are about humility? Friends, in a world that hates believers, we desperately need each other, which means we desperately need humility to be the church. So again, back to our opening question. Do we value humility in your life? Do I value humility in my life? What do we see in terms of how we treat other Christians? Are we so focused on serving others, deferring to others, loving others, that people could say we are like an oil that smooths things out? Or is our life honestly more like a Brillo pad or steel wool that causes friction and division and strife as we relate to one another? Friends, do we value humility in how we relate so two calls to humility so far. The first is how we relate to the church leaders. Then it's how we relate to one another. And there's one more call to humility here, and it's the most important. Number three is humility to God. Humility before God. Look at verse 6. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And we see the hand of God in Scripture. It's always a description of the power of God. It's to remind us of God's omnipotence and how powerful He is and how sovereign and in control He he is. So we're to humble ourselves under or before His power, before His omnipotence, before His sovereignty. Now, friends, remember my definition of pride. It blinds us to who God is. So this is a call for us to remember who God is. Not just to remember, but to embrace God as all-powerful, to embrace God as sovereign over all things. This ties in very much to our sufferings, which Peter keeps talking about. This means that God is powerful even over our sufferings. This means God is sovereign even over our trials. And so there's a warning here for us because when suffering comes, the default response is normally not humility. The default response is, God, I don't deserve this. God, where are you? Why are you letting this happen to me? I can't believe you let me dot, 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 and fill in the blank there. And so this is a call to remind us, even in our hardships and sufferings, that God is powerful and God is sovereign. And so we humble ourselves before him, trusting him and handing over our hardships to him instead of handing them in our pride. So humble ourselves before God, even when life is hard. So again, back to our opening question, do we value humility? Do we value humility in relating to God? Friends, when life does not go as you expect, and that happens all the time to all of us, do you doubt God? Do you rail against God? Or do you bow to his wisdom and his sovereignty? And friends, how about as we pray? Do we seek God's will? Or do we tell God what we want his will to be? Are we going to him in humility or going to him in pride? And so Peter tells us here to humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So three commands for humility. To humble ourselves before the church leaders. To humble ourselves before one another. And ultimately to humble ourselves before God. That's the what. But Peter's not done yet. He also tells us the why. He's going to give us two why answers of why this is so important to pursue humility. One of the whys is a warning, and one of the whys is a promise. Let's start with the warning of why we need to pursue humility. The warning here for us, if we do not pursue humility, there's discipline for those who do not. There's discipline if we do not pursue humility. Look at verse 5 again. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another for Here's a reason why we should be putting on humility. For God opposes the proud. Now, friends, this is sobering for us that God actively opposes all those who walk in pride. Now, remember from the beginning, I have pride in my heart. You have pride in your heart. So this is not just for people out there. This is for us. God opposes those who walk in their pride and do not repent of it. And that includes his own children. This is not the only place in Scripture we see this truth that God opposes the proud. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, which is actually the basis of what Peter writes here. Towards the scorners, he, God, is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. And then in James, James chapter 4, verse 6, he says almost identically to what we see in 1 Peter. But he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That God, when he looks upon his people, remember, judgment begins in the household of God, and he sees unrepentant pride in our life, God opposes us to bring us to repentance. Because that sounds hard, but God loves us too much to leave us floundering in our pride. God loves us too much to leave us blind to who he is and blind to the needs of others. That's not how he wants us to be or how he wants us to interact. So for our good and for his glory, he disciplines us in our pride. We see it often, but Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 is a reminder of his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Because if you're in Christ, God loves you. 
But when we are in Christ and we're not dealing with the pride of our heart, God loves us too much to leave us there. So he will chastise us. He will oppose us. He will discipline us to bring us to repentance. You see it also a few verses later in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God, he disciplines us for our good. We may share in his holiness. And friends, lest we think God won't do this, remember how Peter's just told us. Go back to verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. God is all-powerful. God is all-seeing. And yes, God sees the pride deep in our hearts, the sins we're even blind to. And an all-seeing, all-knowing, all-sovereign, all-powerful God will oppose pride in the lives of his people. And he can do that. This is a huge warning for us, friends. Either we humble ourselves before God or an all-powerful God will humble us. Don't miss that. Either we will humble ourselves before God as his grace leads us to repent, or he will humble us in his great powers. That's one of the reasons why we pursue humility. There's a warning. If we don't, God will. And it's much better for us to humble ourselves than for God to have to humble us. But Peter gives us a second reason why we pursue humility. And it's not just the warning. The second one is there's a promise of future reward. There's a promise of future reward here. Look at verse 6 here. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now the proper time here is that end of time, that future hope that Peter keeps talking about. That time we see Jesus face to face. He's pointing us to that day when we will be exalted, when we will be given eternal life with God forever. When we will receive resurrection bodies like Christ has. When we will live eternally in perfect harmony and in perfect relationships forever and ever and ever with God and with all of his people. And so he's pointing us to that day saying, yes, you suffer now. Yes, you're humble yourself now. But God will lift you up in that day. But he's taking us even beyond that. Because in that day, there's a promise of rewards for following Christ now. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14 gives us a picture of this. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones. Now, those are all things that God says are important that are valuable. Or the things that are not. The wood, the hay, and the straw. Verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest for the day. That's the time that he's talking about here in verse 6. The proper time, that future day, um, will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now, verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. The God who is all-seeing sees everything, including our heart motivations. And there will be rewards on that day for when we have chosen to follow him. And God values humility. They're like gems to him. They're like gold to him in our life. So there's the promise that Peter is pointing us to here in verse 6 of that day that comes when we stand before God and there are rewards for choosing to humble ourselves in this life, to serve God and to serve others. And so Peter tells us that to give us fresh strength now to defer to God's will in this life, to defer to one another, knowing that God sees God's reward. So in our text here, there's three calls to humble ourselves before the leaders, before one another, and before God. There's two reasons given for why we should do this. The warning of discipline if we don't, but the promise of future reward when we do. And that leads to one last thing Peter has for us here. How is humility possible? He's told us to do it. How in the world can we actually be humble in a world that does not value humility and in our own hearts that do not love humility but love our own pride and love our way? How is humility possible? And there's only one way. It's not determination. It's not trying harder. It's only God's grace. Go back to verse 5 again and notice what he says at the end of verse 5. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
You know the word grace well. Grace is God's kindness to us that we do not deserve. God's unmerited favor to us. And you've heard me say many times, friends, that when we talk about grace, there's God's saving grace that gives salvation to us who do not deserve it, but there's God's transforming grace that makes us more like Christ. It changes us. So what he is telling us here is the only way we will ever become more humble is when we ask God's grace to grow our humility. We can't will humility in our life. We can't try harder. I can't do a book study that's going to make me humble. Though as much as I try to find books to solve every problem, this is only going to come about by God's grace changing us. The way we clothe ourselves with humility is by dependency, day after day after day, saying, Lord, help me. Lord, give me grace so that I can humble myself before you. In other words, when we look at verse 5 and we're told here to clothe yourself with humility, that basically is we go to God in prayer. Say, God, I see the pride in my life that you already see. God, I know you hate this pride. Help me hate my pride the way you hate my pride. And God, I know you want to rid me of this pride and grow in me humility. Help me. Give me grace, O Lord, to humble myself before the leaders, to humble myself before other believers, to humble myself before you. And friends, when we clothe ourselves with humility by praying like that every day, God never in heaven goes, "Mm, nope, you got to try harder first. God doesn't say, nope, you go try to figure this out, and then I will help you. When we go to him in absolute dependency, saying, Lord, I see pride in my life. You hate it. God, I can't get rid of it. I need your help. Give me grace to humble myself before you and before others. God goes, yes. God doesn't say, nope, try harder first, then come back. God delights in our dependency on him because it glorifies him. That's why we're told in James, James chapter 4, verse 6. Again, the similar verse as we already saw. But God gives not just grace, but more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Friends, when I'm struggling in my pride and you're struggling in your pride, the hope is God gives not just grace but more grace and more grace and more grace as we ask him to rid our hearts of the pride that he hates. And the good news is we saw when we studied John, but John chapter 1 verse 16, his grace is sufficient, right? From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace grace, these waves of grace that keep coming. Friends, we will battle pride every day of our life till we see Jesus face to face. But the good news is, his waves of grace, his grace upon grace upon grace come every day as we seek his help to battle pride and to walk in humility. Friends, that means for us in the areas of our life where we still have pride, it's not because God's not willing to grow us. It's because we're not asking for his grace to change. So God calls us to humble ourselves before him or else he will humble us his great power. So let's bring all that back together. Here's the key truth I want you to see from these two verses this morning. It's simply this, friends. God calls us to seek his grace to grow in humility in all parts of our lives. The whole idea of these three things of your elders and those in the church and with God, he's showing us the totality that there's no part of our life that we do not show humility. Whether it's to our friends at school, whether it's to our co-workers, to our boss, every arena of life, at home, at school, at church, in the world, we're to walk in humility. But it's not a call to try harder to be that way. It's a call to rely on his grace to humble ourselves, to see ourselves as servants of him and servants of others, to not see ourselves as the master demanding everyone else to get in line around us, but to with intentionality put on a heart to serve God and to serve others. And so as Peter wraps up his final exhortations of the letter, he couches them all with this, likewise you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So, friends, back to our opening question. Do you value humility in your life? Do I value humility in my life? 
Not do we want others to be humble to us, but do I value it enough to day by day be praying and seeking God's grace to put on humility, to day by day be asking God to grow me in humility, to day by day be repenting of the pride that we see and asking God to show us that pride. Are we a people who the way we pray and the way we live and treat other people show that we do value humility? If it's in those areas where we realize we're falling short like we all do, it's not a call to get beat up on or to try hard. It's a call to, in prayer today and each day, ask God for his grace to help us put on humility that day. Because I want us to reflect on that, and it's a fitting thing to reflect on as we come to communion this morning. Because communion reminds us of the ultimate humbling of Christ himself, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He stepped out of heaven in all of its glories to come make a way for us to be reconciled to him. We get to reflect in this morning with this powerful picture that Jesus instituted to remind us of him and his grace. It is a powerful symbol to remind us of who God is. Because we take it ultimately to humble ourselves and say, God, I need you. We don't take communion because we're good people. We take communion because we're awful people. We are awful sinners who have offended a holy God. But Jesus humbled himself, entered humanity, was born in a manger when we celebrated Christmas, lived a perfect life to fulfill the law that you and I break every single day. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. So that on the cross, all the sins that I shall be punished in all eternity through hell forever for got put on Christ. And so when Christ says it is finished, the punishment was paid for all my sins. And if you're in Christ for all of your sins. So as we celebrate communion, we're remembering the ultimate act of humility, Christ himself dying to make a way for us to know him. As such, friends, this is only for those who are followers of Jesus. If you know that Christ has forgiven you of all your sins, if you see not only his saving grace in your life, but you see that transforming grace that is evident that you are a child of God, you are welcome to come celebrate with us this morning. It doesn't matter if you're a member of Gateway or not, but if you are in Christ, you are welcome to come join us in celebrating communion, to remember that Christ's body was broken for you, that his blood was poured out for you, because Scripture tells us without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So if you're not in Christ, if you're not sure that's you, we just want to ask you to remain where you're seated. We're not going to come find you or embarrass you, but you need to use this time to talk to God and ask God to show himself to you. But friends, if you know you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to come celebrate this morning. But communion is also a time of reflection for us, a time to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. And in light of our text this morning, it's a great time for us before we receive the elements to ask God the question, God, where is pride in my life? But where is their pride I'm not repenting of? And to use this time to, to hone in on this sin that God opposes and God hates and to ask God to grow us in his grace and in our desire to fight our pride by his strength and to put on humility. So I just encourage you as you're waiting to receive the elements or as you receive the elements, but you don't have to rush taking them. Use this time to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart and to show you areas you need to repent. So let's be a people. So we're receiving these with thankfulness. That we're also asking God for more of that grace, that grace upon grace that will make us more like Christ. So I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, our ushers will come direct you. Just follow their direction. You'll form two aisles down the middle. And then you'll go back to your seats to the sides. And if you need gluten-free elements, we have those as well. But would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for your grace, your grace that forgives us of all of our sins, our sin of pride, and our so many other sins. Lord, you've seen all of our sins every day this week. There's not a day gone by this week that none of us could say, hey, I didn't sin today. Or we have all offended you in so many ways, day after day after day, all throughout this week. And so we come to you this morning, Father, with, as we celebrate communion, remembering how we have hope. 
Not that we can be better, but our hope is that Christ has died for our sins. That his body was broken for our sins. His blood was shed for our sins. So we come this morning with hearts of thankfulness that you've forgiven us already for all of our pride. You've forgiven us of all of our sins and shortcomings. You've forgiven us for not loving you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You've forgiven us for not loving our neighbor as ourself. And we stand forgiven. We stand clothed in Christ's righteousness because of nothing that we have done simply by your grace. So God, we come to you this morning just with hearts of thankfulness for that grace, but also with hearts that realize we need more grace because we are still so far from being who you desire for us to be. So I pray as we receive these elements this morning, you would stir in us thankfulness and awe and wonder in the salvation you've given to us, but would you stir in our hearts also this morning, Lord, a longing and a sense of our need for more grace to walk with you and to find your sanctification at work in our lives. So we thank you for this time we have to celebrate together. Pray you use it to to grow us in the people you desire us to be. We ask it all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
Father, we are grateful that we get to express in song back to you our thanks for the salvation that we have. God, I pray that what we've just sung would not be just mere words of a song to us, but be our experience as your children this week. Knowing that we're seated at your table, knowing that you are our friend because of what Christ has done for us, and we don't have to stand in fear of judgment, but we stand forgiven. And God, I pray this week for me and for these precious brothers and sisters that this would not just be intellectual truth for us, be our experience united to Christ this week. Joyful union with you, enjoying your presence as we walk with you. So God, we ask for what we've sung for grace this week, to be able to walk with you, to experience your joy all throughout this week in the ups and downs of whatever circumstances we walk through. So we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and have a great Sunday afternoon.